Alright, so we are in 1 John chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 5 through 11. And um, as a review, uh, we are considering the first point in knowing God, and that's what the, this little section is called. Hereby we know uh, that we know Him. But how do we know Him? And so that's what we're talking about, that, 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 that first point in knowing God in fellowship. And, that, and, and that's through obedience to His Word. Uh, this obedience to His Word is how we come to know God in fellowship. And this obedience to His Word consists of two parts. And the very first act of obedience, of course, is regarding knowing God beginning with salvation. Uh, Romans 10:15 through 17 says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings and good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And, of course, Paul was writing about the Pharisees. He's writing about the Jews who rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so that's why he says not all have obeyed the gospel. So the very first thing, if you want to get to know God, you got to be born again. you got to become a son of God. You have to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I talked uh, last week, or not last week, and maybe the week before on this topic, it's important what you believe about Jesus Christ in order to be saved. All right? It's important because not everybody believes rightly about Jesus Christ. If you remember when Jesus inquired of his disciples, what do men think of me? They said, well, some say you're a prophet and some say you're this and some say you're that. And then Jesus asked his disciples, he says, what do you think? And he says, well, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. See, that's believing rightly about Jesus Christ. Believing in Jesus Christ, who's a good man or a good moral teacher, or even a courageous martyr who died for a movement, that's not going to save anybody. You've got to believe rightly about the Lord Jesus Christ. That indeed he is the only begotten Son of God. That indeed he is Jesus Christ the righteous. That indeed he is Emmanuel, God with us. So you have to believe rightly about Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And then after one has obeyed the gospel, then the second part of this knowing God, and that's what we're talking about now, is sanctification. Is what, uh, is what, uh, you know, a lot of folks call sanctification. Even our, our sanctification. And this is where we separate ourselves from the influence of this fallen world. And we separate ourselves unto Christ, that we walk even as he walked, as John talks about here in 1 John chapter 2. So that's what sanctification is, is being separated unto God and, and, and separated from the influences of this fallen world and, uh, and what this world is all about. Uh, Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. And so that's the, that's the key thing. Uh, where is your heart? Where is your heart? Uh, how we think shapes what we become. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So how one thinks of God affects your devotion to God. If you have a low opinion of God, then your devotion is not going to be that 
that committed, is it? Uh, Our devotion to God also impacts our character. And our character will determine the quality of our fellowship. And our fellowship with God will renew our thinking of God. So we see that that cycle that takes place when we start thinking right. And so the heart of the matter, as I mentioned last week, is that we may lose the heart that matters. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. No, we want a heart that is... um, What is it the Old Testament talks about? Some of the kings, they serve God, but not with a perfect heart, right? We don't want to be that way. We want to have a perfect heart toward God. So, what I'm going to talk about this morning, and I know you guys are going to think it's a hobby horse of mine, but I think this is very, very important because it's so influential in the churches today. And what I want to talk about is worship and work. I want to talk about worship and work. Um, In many churches today, including our own, a major impact upon the heart of the people, on the heart of believers, is worship. Specifically, what is called worship music or praise music. Okay? Now, I want to start off right now, okay, and let you know that I am not against... Contemporary Christian music. Okay? Is that understood? (laughs) That needs to be understood because I know when I'm done, that's what you're going to think. Praise and worship is important in the Christian life. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, Psalms 57.7 says, My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise, awake up my glory, awake sultry and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. That's Psalms 57, verses 7 through 9. And then this is repeated in Psalms 108, starting in verse 1. O my God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise, even with my my glory. Awake, psaltery, and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people, and I will sing praises unto thee, unto thee among the nations. So when something's mentioned two or three times in the Bible, what does that tell you? It's important. You better pay attention. You better pay attention. So twice in Psalms, we read this matter about worship and praise and music. But what I want you to focus on is that he does so with a fixed heart. A fixed heart. What is a fixed heart? Well, the meaning of a fixed heart is a heart that is stable. A heart that is established. A heart that is directed aright to focus on worshiping God. It's not here, there, and everywhere. Alright? It's established. It's fixed. In the psalmist's day, it was the idolatry of the nations that surrounded Israel that was a constant threat to the people of God. And in fact, that's exactly what happened, didn't it? That's why the ten northern tribes were taken away by Assyria, and that's why Jerusalem, Judah, and Benjamin were taken away by Babylon, is because they fell under the influence of these idolatrous nations that they were to drive out of the land. So what is that, what is it that the believer is to be established in? What is it that our own heart is to be fixed in? The Word of God. 
in the truth. Second Peter 1.12 says, Wherefore I will not be negligent. Sometimes it helps if you don't look at the word so you can pronounce it. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. So we are to be established in the truth. That's a fixed heart. But is that what we see in today's praise music? Some, but not all. Some, but not all. I'm not going to condemn it all. I'm not going to condemn it all. You know, Paul had warned, turn to Philippians chapter 3. I don't know if that's on your sheet or not. But Paul had warned of evil workers who were, who were infiltrating the churches that were under his care. And in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous. But for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, I guarantee you that these men, when they first appeared to this church in Philippi, They did not appear to be wicked or evil. In fact, I'm sure that they presented themselves as well-meaning, godly men who had the the believers there in Philippi, uh, they had their best interest. At least that's the appearance. But as they began to teach their doctrine, then the true nature of these men became apparent. But not after they had caused confusion and not after they had infected some of the church, some of the church members with their teaching. Now Paul referred to these as the concision. That means mutilators. Mutilators. How would you like to be known as a mutilator? That wouldn't be a very good thing to be known by. Um, So on your study guide, the religious Gnostics of our day also make this same appearance to the Laodicean church. So appearance is your blank. But in spite of their appearance, they have brought into many churches a strange fire that God may not recognize nor accept as worship. And that's a very difficult thing for some people to understand or even grasp. Or believe. What at one time was a medium to draw one to God in worship has been mutilated in a way to manipulate the emotions of the worshiper rather than leading them into the presence of God, established in the truth of God. One of the red flags that the Bible warns about concerning these types, and one that I've mentioned in the past lessons, is that There's a lack of focus on the cross of Jesus Christ. There's a lack of focus on the cross of Jesus Christ. There's a a lack of focus on the propitiatory work of Jesus Christ, that he shed his blood for us. And there's more of a focus on works-based philosophies, or a focus on self being elevated higher than even Jesus Christ. 
as though we are the center of the universe rather than God himself pay attention you know we ought to be aware of those who don't focus on the work of Christ and on the cross but they make it all about who me, myself and I yeah the unholy trinity in 1 Corinthians 15.1, Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you. Unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. But if you're paying attention, the trend of the Laodicean attitude is more and more drifting away from that and more and more focusing on itself. Yet the focus is more on the musicians and the singer's talent instead of Jesus. Can we call that worship? Yeah, it's idol worship. It's idol worship. It's not worship no matter how you want to phrase it. It simply isn't. And that's why it's important for us individually as well as collectively as a church that we maintain a biblically based hard attitude toward worship. You cannot worship God without his truth. You just can't do it. That's not biblical worship. Um... One of the hymns that I really appreciate uh, is, um, I wish we would sing it more often, and that's not a plug. But uh, it's it's the hymn that says, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. That's a good hymn. Why is that? Because it exalts the word of God. It tells us what our foundation is. And what I'm concerned about is that we are raising a generation on pablum. We're not giving them the meat of God's word and we're, we're feeding them pablum through catchy tunes and anemic lyrics. Again, I'm not against contemporary Christian music. Some of it. Some of it. And I know I sound like that I am. Well, Jeff, let me ask a phrase that was just kind of reinforced. There's not a lot of songs to God. There's a lot of songs about a bunch of stuff. Yeah. There's not a lot of songs to And that's where I'm headed. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm headed. They don't mention no, it's it's like a it's like a teenager with angst. Yeah, they're love songs. Yeah, they're love songs. Yeah, 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 and that's and that's and that's really what uh, we need to be careful about. That's why I'm speaking to you guys. Uh, one of the things that is going on with the Laodicean church age, especially in the latter part, is that it lacks discernment. It lacks discernment. Um, it, w- it is willing to accept anything uh, that is uh, labeled Christian. 
And um, just because somebody wears a cowboy hat and wears cowboy boots and has a vest and a six-shooter on their hip doesn't necessarily make them a cowboy. And it's the same thing with Christianity. Just because it has the label of Christianity on it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's biblical Christianity. So that's something we have to be careful of. Revelations chapter 3 verse 21 says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You know, we live in a time of compliance and concession rather than becoming overcomers. Every church age is outlined in the first chapters of Revelations. They had a spirit of the age that they had overcome. And those who discerned what this spirit of the age was and and overcame it, they, they were blessed. But those who failed to discern what that spirit of the age was, uh, they conceded and they suffered the consequences. My desire for this church, my desire for this class is that we don't concede. And suffer the consequences. So on your study guide, one of the challenges we face is to resist the prevalent spirit of our age. To worship apart from God's truth. This worshiping apart from God's truth is becoming more and more prevalent in in many churches today. And much is done in the name of worship and praise, but very little of it is according to God's truth. And I'm not trying to be a curmudgeon. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. Just be aware. In churches, many churches, especially churches that have a large population of young people, uh, the time spent in worship and praise is much longer than the actual preaching of God's Word. We went to a church a while back that they spent 35 to 40 minutes in praise and worship and special songs and 15 minutes on the message. To me, that's an imbalance. That's an imbalance. Uh, the, the emphasis now is more on the on the praise and less on the truth, less on the message. The emphasis in some churches is, is more about the entertainment rather than establishing its people in the truth. You know, I get it. You know, they're, they're wanting to present something entertaining so they can bring people into the church. Well, once you get them into the church, you've got to feed them. You gotta feed them. And they're not being fed. Jesus said to the woman by the well, in John 4.23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. And I, I taught on that. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. When I address this matter of worship, Due to the wrongful view and the overemphasis about enthusiastic worship service without God's Word. And they call that fellowship. God is light. And you have to fellowship with God who is light, in His light. And if you forsake His light, is that really worship? So on your study guide... 
One cannot fellowship and worship God apart from His truth, no matter how much spirit or enthusiasm you put into it. Now, don't get me wrong. There is definitely joy in worshiping God. Psalms 9.2 says, I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou Most High. Psalms 33.1 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. you realize that when the righteous truly worship and praise God, God looks at that and considers that pretty, considers that beautiful? He loves it when his bride rejoices. That's like jewels around her neck. There are hymns of the faith, and there are there's praise music that lifts our spirit. You know why? Because it worships and praises in truth. Now you know that's true. How many times have you heard an old hymn saying, and because that hymn was full of truth that your spirit was lifted? It was because of the truth that was in that hymn. There's some uh, contemporary Christian music that has truth in it, and that's what lifts us up. It's the truth being sung about. Yet joy for joy's sake without truth, and this is your blank, is not true worship. It's not true worship. You cannot separate truth from worship. You shouldn't. That's not true worship. Psalm 71.22 says, I will also praise thee with the psaltery, even thy truth. O my God, unto thee will I sing with the harp, O thou Holy One of Israel. Psalm 51.6 says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Psalms 138.2 I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You know, we sing all day about God's loving kindness. Well, what about his truth? So on your study guide, what has occurred in many churches is that praise is now magnified above God's truth rather than God's truth being magnified by our praise. You want to worship God? You magnify His word. You magnify His truth. And what is being magnified? What is really being magnified today? My concern with much of contemporary worship is not so much the upbeat tempo of the music. I don't care if they use drums and guitars and saxophones. It's the lack of biblical truth it often promotes. It's the false doctrine that you find in it sometimes. So often the criteria is more about being CMA worthy rather than truly worshiping God in truth. Back in the day of such evangelists as Moody and Sandy, the scorners complained that the hymns that were popular then were too militant. Um, songs such uh, hymns such as "Onward, Christian Soldiers Marching as to War," 
Try singing that today in some of these churches. Um, Give your best to the master. Give of the strength of your youth. Throw your soul's fresh ardor into the battle for truth. Try singing that in some of these churches. Those type of things have fallen out of favor. Back in the day, there were some hymns that for us today, the, the tempo would seem quite tame. But for them back then, it was, it was too racy. It was too much. It was too upbeat. So the temple of the day, it may have been upbeat, but the words were sound doctrine. So you see, it's not so much the upbeat tempo, but is it exalting truth? Is it founded and established in truth? And unfortunately, much of it is not. Much of it is not. And to be fair, not all the old hymns met that same criterion. I've got old hymnals at home, and I thumb through some of these hymnals. I've got one hymnal that's nothing but temperance songs. So you know what the focus is on all those hymns, right? Dry up, dry up for Jesus. But there are those that do edify the believers because they are established in the truth. And some contemporary Christian music does have uh, good doctrine. But what we have to be careful of is um, the music that, um, how am I going to put this? It's more of an emer- more of an emotional experience than establishing someone in truth. Yeah, it shows you how you, yeah, it makes you feel good, but it lacks depth, it lacks truth. Uh, the tempo may move us emotionally, but does it feed us biblically? Wouldn't you know, say that how it's presented? I mean, I know the music is just music, but when they play the same song for 15 minutes, yeah. Yeah, there is that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to... Yeah, okay. I'm not critiquing... Sure. What I'm trying to point out is just pay attention. Pay attention. Just as Paul had warned the Philippian church of the evil workers and the concision, you know, these men, they slipped in, and then they started spreading their heresy. And what better way for the enemy to slip in his heresy rather than through a catchy tune or through music? He's, he's done it for, for decades. He's done it for decades. And honestly, the issue is deeper than musical style. It goes deeper than the toe-tapping beat or the rhythm. It's the lyrics and it's those who are associated with the music. Those who are associated with music. What is troubling is the integrity of some of the musicians, the integrity of some of the source of these popular songs that are sung in churches every Sunday. And there are some praise leaders that, for some reason, they don't think that's important. 
As long as they have the talent to sing or play an instrument, as long as the songs move the congregation emotionally, then the issue of integrity is not even under consideration in the minds of some praise leaders. A few years ago, I remember this, a few years ago there was a big debate among churches whether or not it was okay to have unbelievers playing on the worship team. In fact, I, I know of a few ch- uh, churches that they did. They had, uh, they had professional musicians, uh, but they weren't saved. But yet they were leading the congregation in worship. That, to me, that doesn't compute. How can somebody lead others in worship when they don't even believe in the one we're supposed to be worshiping? That doesn't even compute. Many years ago, uh, we visited church, my wife and I, in the city that the minister was an old friend of the family. So we walked into this place, and to my surprise, the worship leader of the church was a known practicing homosexual. And I know this because I work with the guy. I knew what he was all about. And yet the man stood up there, and he led the church in worship. If worship through music is, is an essential element of the church, then I think that the character of the praise leader would matter, don't you? Years ago, we were members of a church who had a talented praise leader, yet he was having an affair with a woman in the church. Well, this was found out. He was confronted by it. He uh, was asked to give up his uh, position. The church was willing to work with him and counsel him. He refused to be counseled. He refused to repent, and he left the church, as it should be, as it should be. If praise is so important, then I believe worship leaders need to be held to the same standard as the pastor. If you've got a pastor who falls into sin, he needs to surrender the pulpit. If you have a worship leader fall into sin, I believe he should surrender that position. If worship is so important. So on your study guide, the message of much of contemporary Christian music is based more in subjective emotionalism and is drifting further away from the objective truth of God's Word. And often, talent trumps truth. And that's the issue. That's the issue. Instead of standing on the rock, a lot of folks find themselves on a teeter-totter of emotionalism. It's almost like getting their next fix. What was the two kinds before? Uh, Subjective emotionalism, objective truth. No problem. And again, I gotta say this, I'm not against contemporary Christian music. Okay, I'm not. Um, okay, I might as well continue being a meanie. <laughs> a popular Christian music station refers to itself as the positive alternative or positive encouraging radio. Another Christian radio station advertises itself as a positive family value station. 
And at one time, I know that this particular station was very bold in proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, they had the initials of Jesus Christ, J.C., in its call letters. But it no longer does so. See, that's the seduction. That's the concession. Often you'll hear testimonials on these radios, these stations of well-meaning people calling in and proclaiming how uh, a particular song or how the particular station has saved them or encouraged them or helped them get through the day. And that's okay. I get that. But if contemporary Christian music is your only spiritual diet, therein lies the issue. You see, these stations and this music is never meant to replace God's word in a believer's life. And yet there is a subtle hint that that's exactly what is going on. Listen to whatever you want. I don't give a hill of beans about that. (laughs) That's your choice. All I'm saying is, be aware. What does Jesus say when he warned his disciples of the coming last days? Watch and pray. Whether it's traditional or contemporary, be sure it stands up to the standard of God's truth. And if it doesn't, don't have anything to do with it. The intent of the spirit of this age is to draw us away from God and his word. And into the false thinking that all is well with our souls. Revelation 3.17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. And that's the problem. The church today lacks discernment. It's on your study guide. We can only know God through his word to us. To attempt to know God in any other way is not God's approved way. And that's the point. I don't care what music you listen to. But are you getting into God's word? Are you fellowshipping with God through his word? If you're willing to sing and shout at the top of your lungs, but you're not willing to abide by the truth of God's word, can you call that worship? I'm just asking. I mean, we learn from Abraham's example in Genesis 22, his worship was made perfect in his obedience to God's command. Why would it be any different for us? It's on your study guide. If we want to know God and fellowship with God, we must walk in the light as he is in the light. That's what John's still dealing with, folks. Is the sincerity of our heart. Psalms 119.104 says, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Yeah, it's okay to hate being a Christian. We hate the false way. He goes on, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Not a particular radio station. I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. 
There's a false way being taught the churches today of which many are either ignorant of or they choose to wink at it. But it has an impact on the churches, especially among the young people. Uh, this false way is contributing to raising biblically a biblically illiterate generation. And it's little wonder that, remember the poll that I cited earlier, about 69% of the 20-somethings are ignorant about who Jesus Christ really is? This same 69% listen to contemporary Christian music, folks. So where are they getting their truth? It's on your study guide. And attempting to being relevant is your blank to those who are trying to reach that we are trying to reach by adapting to the culture and compromising the truth. We have lost our relevance to those we are to teach and reach. Again, on your study guide, the issue is never God not being with us, but rather are we with God in spirit and truth. Colossians 3.16 says, let the, Lord of, Lord, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So right there, that's telling me whatever we're singing, whatever, we're, whatever songs we're worshiping God in, it better be established in his word and his truth. On your study guide, is the word of God renewing our minds and dwelling in our hearts? Or is some other thing attached to a catchy tune lurking around in our hearts? See, that's the danger. It's seductive. It's subtle. That's the danger. I'm running out of time. I always cringe just a little bit inside when I hear somebody publicly pray, Oh Lord, please be with us now, or please Holy Spirit, join us, or God, come be a part of us. That's not biblical. Jesus says in Matthew 18.20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. He's always there. He's always here. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from the Gnostic teachings. It comes from uh, music that isn't established in the truth. As an example, uh, Keith Green wrote a song entitled, Create in Me a Clean Heart, O God. The song is based on Psalms 51. And it says here, and this is the lyrics of the song, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a bright spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and renew a right spirit within me. And then the rest of the song goes on with the rest of the psalm. Now, I understand the sentiment of the song, but I take issue with that first stanza. Will God take the Holy Spirit away from us? Will God abandon us? So what is this song teaching? You have to be good enough or clean enough to keep him around. Yeah. See, Keith Green's song is not even dispensationally applicable to us. And that's the issue. They don't rightly divide the word of God. 
that's the point I'm trying to make. Just be careful. Be alert. On your study guide. If there is a sense of absence in our minds about his presence, it isn't God that is absent. It may be we are absent from God in our hearts and minds. Because we either do not believe or esteem his word as we should, or we are feeding on something other than the pure milk of the word of God and getting our doctrine from some popular tune or some wacko, I'm sorry, some false teacher who's teaching a false gospel. I mean, this goes contrary to the promised comforter that Jesus taught about in John's gospel. This is contrary to the promise that Jesus gave that he will never leave us or forsake us. This is contrary to the truth that we are sealed unto the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. But yet, because it was a beautiful song, it was a very popular song. We fellowship with God by obeying his word. By walking in the spirit according to his truth. That's worship. That's fellowship. First Peter one twenty two says, Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, and being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Or we can choose to be manipulated by songs that are designed to do that with unbiblical lyrics. Psalms 95.1 says, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Who is being exalted here? Who is being praised? Who is being worshipped? See, worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to someone. When we ascribe ultimate value to someone, that person becomes the center of our lives. He becomes the center of our lives. But when we make worship an event in our lives, when we ascribe the value to that time spent in worship and praise for the 15 or 20 or 30 minutes in the church service, and then then we're done... Is that really esteeming God as he deserves? Is that truly worshiping God? As he, you see, folks, worship is a lifestyle. It's not a solitary event. It's not when your favorite song comes on the radio. It's an attitude of heart. Remember, it's always an attitude of heart that is crucial. If the focus is on us or on the tune or a particular artist and not on God, can we really call that worship? You know, actually, to me, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be mean, but I'm going to be. 
when you have that kind of an attitude, it's no different than the secular individual, the lost man or woman who hears their favorite rock and roll song come on, to, on, on the radio. And they groove to the tune. Are you grooving to the tune or are you worshiping God? You see what I'm saying? You see, worship is not a single act committed at different points in time or an event like a, uh, like an, uh, like a concert or when your favorite artist happens to come on the radio. It's an attitude of heart. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's a love for God for, you know, for who He is. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice of yourself to Him who is all in all. Hebrews 13:15 says by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually not just for 15 minutes or when your favorite song comes on the radio that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name you see worship is an element of our living sacrifice offered to God I'm not a fan of sports announcers. And I'll tell you why. Because when a particular athlete, football, baseball, when that sports announcer gets into praising that individual, it's almost like the man has godlike or the woman has godlike qualities. You know, it's, it's like they have supernatural this or supernatural that. And unfortunately, there's a mentality in the church today that treats Christian artists in that same type of vein. And so my point of this whole lesson is don't, don't do that. There's only one who is worthy of worship. Only one. And it's not just a single event. It should be your life. When you offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God in ministry and service, when you love those who are unlovable, that's worshiping God. When you walk as he walked, that's worshiping God. So finally, on your last blank... Knowing God must begin first with salvation. You've got to know Him before you can worship Him, before you can fellowship with Him. And secondly, through worship and obedience that is in accordance to the truth of God's written Word. If you're not worshiping according to God's Word, then I'm going to say you're not truly worshiping. That's our sanctification. Don't get... Influenced by what the world calls worship. Put your nose in the book and you find out what God has to say about it. Amen? Father in heaven, we come to you now, Lord, and we are so very, very grateful that we do have your word that that is the standard of faith and life. And that, Father in heaven, as we look into your word, that you renew our minds. And help us, O Father, as you are renewing our minds, that we not be conformed to this current world. Uh, Lord God in heaven, we're going to be thought of as odd and peculiar, but you know what? That's okay. 
As long as we are pleasing to you, that's all that really matters. So help us, Father, to to keep our hearts always sincere to you. And when we do, Father, think of you, uh, may we worship you with all of our hearts, with a fixed heart established in your word. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. It's pretty close. I think I have one just like that. Oh, cool. Is that near the place where they are ministering? Good. Yeah. Good. Perfect. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'll put it with my others. I think my floor is starting to fade. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. Where are you? Well, yeah. <laughs> Still all right. You, 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 you